This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2GoGo.com start. Hello and welcome to episode 171 of Inside Acting. I'm AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor 300 Workouts in 2014, Algot. <laughs> Don't change your name to that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you could. That might be interesting. <laughs> and on this podcast, besides a lot of joking around, we bring you interviews with working actors, writers, filmmakers, agents, managers, producers, casting directors, personal finance and fitness gurus, voiceover artists and more. All of them, you know, serving up insider tips and marketing yourself, creating your own work, and booking the gig. It's a knowledge bomb buffet, straight from the people who've been there, done that, and are doing it again. And we're just two dudes. You know, we started this thing because we were looking for the answers, and we were kind of sick and tired of being told we had to pay for it. As we've said many times in this show, I think you've actually coined this phrase, AJ, there's no limit to the number of ways an actor can write a check. Yes. Uh, and there's a whole industry built around separating actors from their money. And, you know, it's, it many many times it's awesome, and many times it's, it's not so awesome. So <laughs> we made this podcast free uh, with the option to contribute if you'd like, and we put it on the internet and while all success stories are built on a kind of common foundation we don't believe there's any one right way to do anything so if you hear something in this episode or in any episode with which you agree or disagree we want to hear from you send us an email shoot us a tweet comment on our website leave us a voicemail all of it goes to the same place you can find out all the different ways that you can get your voice in the show and be in touch with us by starting at our website insideactingpodcast.com and a bit later in today's episode, we have part one of our first ever. Well, we kind of explain it in the interview itself, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's like a three-way phone call uh, with Trevor in L- L.A., me here in New York, and then Dale Orlandersmith also uh, in New York with us. And you're going to learn a-, a lot about her very quickly uh, because of her the strength of her her personality. An awesome, awesome artist and actor and writer and producer. So stick around for that. Yo, what's up, Spartan? What's up, dude? Yeah, um, this morning was workout number 300 of the year. That, and that was your goal, right? You wanted to do 300 in a year? Yeah, I just, I set a goal. I mean, I, I try to like set quarterly like goals for every 90 days. And then at, at some point throughout the year, I was like, hey, if I hit all three or all four of these goals for every quarter, I will have completed 300 plus workouts. And so I, I aimed for it. And uh, here it is, like two and a half weeks shy of the end of the year. Now... You, I was gonna say, you have two and a half weeks left. You've got you've got twenty days from the time we're recording this. It's Friday, December fifth, as we record this. So you've got uh, twenty days till Christmas, and uh, and and so a few more days. So you've got like uh, 20, 25 days or so left in the twenty six days left in the year. Now, are you going to keep pushing ahead? Are you going to take a break, or are you going to? let the holidays have it all go to shit (laughs) (laughs) that is a good question i've i've considered all three of those options uh i'm I'm gonna say that i'm gonna kind of go with the middle ground i'm probably gonna keep going uh until i get back to philly for the holidays which will be uh, about a week and a half and then i'm probably just gonna you know veg out eat some fat boy food for a few days and then get back on the horse when i get back to la Nice. Yeah, I'm nice. not like an extremist. I just, you know, I have a routine that works really well for me, and um, it just happened to work really well 300 times this year. <laughs> but you know, when it's time to chill out, it's time to chill out. So, yeah, I still can't. I still can't. I mean, I think we've. I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but I, I, I can't get over like we, we'll record. You know, I'm in New York, so you're three hours earlier, 
And I'm like, I'm still rubbing my sleep out of my eyes and waking up and trying to drink water and just come to life. <clears throat> and we get on Skype or whatever to record and and you're like, yeah, I was drinking my Shakeology, you just finished my workout. I'm like, wait, it's three hours earlier there. And mm. I'm still, anyway, so uh, you are an inspiration to myself and I'm sure all of our listeners. Uh, how's that for a, a, a New Year's resolution, kids? 300 workouts in one year. Hit it. Boom, get on it. It can be done. So, and then in addition to working out all the time, you're still pushing uh, pushing forward career-wise, writing-wise, and all of that. Um, and uh, it says here you've got a short film. Yeah, you know, my, my, my goal for the next year, I mean, I have, you know, several goals I've been kind of thinking about, and we'll really dig into this when we do the uh, Actors Roundtable episodes in a few weeks. But a, a big kind of thing that I want to be part of my life going forward is I just want to always be involved in doing something in some aspect of production on a a project, you know, like whether it's a play, whether it's a film, whether it's a TV show, whether it's a web series, whatever it is, I want to be involved in some production uh, aspect of production pre post, you know, actual production. And so I was just like, you know, I realized that the only thing that's missing from that, from that happening in my life is most of the time, just a script for people to kind of rally around and, and put together. So <clears throat> I thought, Hey, I could write a lot more. And I was originally thinking of doing one short film every month as sort of a challenge to myself. Mm. Uh, that quickly became something very daunting. <laughs> and so, so I'm thinking uh, one every two or three months uh, and maybe something more in there. I, I don't know, but <clears throat> I, I want to get back into class next year. And um, so I wrote this short film and uh and and it's it's moving along really well you know we're working with alex who who did our video episodes a while back and you and i have both worked with him a lot uh he's going to direct and be the dp for this and he's got a you know a couple guys he's going to bring on board and then our buddy drew and then uh actually one of our listeners nicole is also going to be in it uh and i'm really excited to work with her and um yeah this is just the first of what i hope are several over the next year that uh that i can write and help put together Yes. Yeah. yeah, we're going to shoot on the 13th, which is uh, just a few days from when people should be first listening to this. Uh, yeah, it'll be the, the Saturday after this goes live, right? Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, congrats, man. Uh, there's been a lot of, that's, first of all, once again, very inspiring, continuing to, to push forward and do your own work. And there's been a lot of... Uh, inspiration around like people have been around me like you and jasmine and stuff have been writing a lot mm -hmm. um and i don't consider myself a writer but it's 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 um it's allowing me to open up to the idea of ideas if that makes sense so like the the reason i'm saying this the other night uh after seeing we were just talking about this uh i saw interstellar which will yeah, probably yeah. be my pick of the week next week uh but uh I woke up in the middle of the night one night and I couldn't stop thinking about the movie. Uh, so I couldn't go back to sleep. And then all of a sudden an idea for a short film popped into my head and I was like, all right, I'm never going to be able to go to sleep unless I do something about this. So I, I, I picked up my phone, which is like on my you know, bedside table. And I went to the notes app and literally tapped out the idea for the short film and put the phone down and was finally able to, that, that's what helped me get back to sleep. We're giving you a, a chance to, to talk about, you know, what you're up to here. And then later in the picks of the week, we'll kind of talk a little bit about what, uh, what Jasmine's been up to with, with her writing. Because she uh, provided our listener pick this week. So, yeah, anyway, yeah. It, that, and that's what I mean. Like, there's just a lot of, like, a lot of inspiring stuff. Going on. Hey, that's what that's what we do here, man. You know, that's what we do. That's what we do. That's what we do here. It's, <laughs> hey, it's, it's, it's inside actors. What we do here. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting good at that one too, man. The New York, I dig it. Hey, speaking Surrounded. of inspiring, uh, you know, I'm writing a short film, but uh, I wasn't in a feature film that comes out in theaters today, like somebody <laughs> I know. So, I, uh, yeah, dude, tell us about this awesomeness. It, well, it was yeah, it was really funny because I didn't think I had anything to talk about this week. I was like, I've been sick, and it's really slow. The holidays coming up. There's not a lot going on. I'm not auditioning. Um, you know, uh, I've been sort of tangentially putting together ideas for you know marketing and, and whatnot ben whitehair was in town recently and there's nothing yeah. like, there's nothing like having coffee with ben with ben whitehair 
to to give you that extra little kick in the pants like all right there here's some good ideas some things i can be doing because he just finished shooting a feature film and he gave us a little sneak peek of the trailer and it looks incredible yeah um, yeah it does but uh but it turns out i do have something to talk about because uh life partners which uh premiered a month ago on uh streaming services like itunes is is going to be uh, premiering in theaters today. Uh, December 5th is like its opening day in theaters. It's kind of an uh, interesting model, I thought, you know, that they're doing the video-on-demand thing first and then a month later releasing in theaters. I don't know if it's a wide release or just in, like, you know, certain cities like New York and L.A. or, or what the story is, but um, it might be kind of fun, you know, if it's still playing when I when I get home to LA, I was thinking it might be kind of fun to grab a group of folks and, and go see it, because it's a really good movie. It's cute. It's funny. Um, I'm in it for like five minutes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great and, and, and just really cool. You know, as my manager said, the important thing is to be in theaters. So, mm. uh, I don't know what that means. I don't know how we're, if we're going to parlay that into anything, but, uh, but there it is. <laughs> Dude, that is so cool. So, have you you've seen it? Obviously, you got it on iTunes when it came out. I I saw or, it. I, well, the first time I saw it was um, Tribeca, because it was premiering in theaters. They did another premiere at the ArcLight in Hollywood just like a week or two ago, and I was so bummed I couldn't be there because I'm here in New York. Um, I got the invite from the production company and everything, and it was probably really cool because, like, all the stars were there. I saw pictures, you know, and, like, Leighton and Jillian, and uh, I don't think Adam went, which was weird. Uh, he must have been working on something, but, you know, they're all, they're all there, and the director and the writer and the producer were all there, and I was like, oh, man, I want to be there. Red carpet, this is awesome, but uh, alas, I was in, uh, in New York. But, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really exciting. I guess. That's so cool, man. So when you watched it, I have to ask, because this is always a surreal experience, and I think every actor kind of experiences it differently, but what was it like watching yourself in this, like, you know, where in the same kind of venue and context you've watched a million other movies and other actors in? Uh, you know, I didn't hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> like some start. actors, like Johnny Depp and stuff, like people just, like, can't, they don't, like, can't watch themselves, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, I'll put it this way. It looked like for a few minutes I was being myself with like some other actors around and someone happened to have a camera. It, it, when I was looking at myself, I didn't look like a different person. It wasn't like AJ the actor was up there or I can't even remember my character's name, but you know, Dan, <laughs> whatever his name was. Like, it didn't look like Dan on screen. It was like, that's just, that's just me and someone happened to be running rolling camera at the time. Dude, that is a really good thing, I think. I if you know, saw yourself acting, I think you would, you know, I mean, no actor wants to see themselves acting, you know, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. I think the only time I saw myself acting in it was there was a very specific note that I kept getting from the director and I wasn't like, or I think, I mean, I may be making this up, but she kept giving me the note. So there was just something that I was not, there was something I wasn't hitting for her. And that moment, whatever take they used of that moment, I think I'm like, ah, I'm acting there, but I'm trying to give the director what she wants. So I think that's it. And I'm not saying it was a bad direction. I, th I thought it was a good direction. I just couldn't figure out how to make it happen. I, I don't know. Does that answer your question? I feel like it's yeah, for yeah. like 10 minutes. Uh, yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> that's well, that's congratulations, man. I mean, that, that's a huge milestone in, in an actor's career, I think, is to be in a feature film that's released in theaters. And, and you know, not just like be in it, but to have a, you know, a, a speaking role in it. That's pretty huge. That's a big step in the right direction. So yeah, congrats. For, for sure, man. Yeah. And it's, um, I saw Ethan Hawke and J.K. Simmons were both on the Jimmy Kimmel show recently. And JK, first of all, was telling stories that he told on our podcast, which was fun. So I'm like, hey, you, you heard it here first. You talked to us about that. Like, it was very cute. Um, and then Ethan Hawke was talking about, like, movies being released years after he shoot, because he shot, he was, you know, he plays the father in Boyhood. So they shot that over 12 years. Yeah. Um, but that happens to all actors. Like, uh, Bro Broken Horses, it's still, like, I haven't heard anything. And I don't know if it'll ever come out. You know, uh, Life Partners was shot like almost two years ago now. Like, it, was that two years ago? It was last last April. 
Oh, man. So a year and a half. Year and Wow, and it's just now coming out. It's just now coming out. So, yeah, it's, you know, I, I sort of get it. You, that's one of the weird experiences that you kind of go through when something gets released like this. It's like you finally go through that thing of, of like, oh, yeah, th- that was a thing like <laughs> that I did <laughs> like a long time ago, and yeah, you know, and and Broken like Horse is just to kind of jog people's memories is the Vincent D'Onofrio movie you did a while ago, and that you haven't heard anything on that. No, nothing, not a peep. And you, you had a you had a significant you had a line or two didn't you in that I, you were like I, a thug I did character? I did I think they may have cut my lines in the final the final cut of the film um, but I'm still in it a lot because I'm yeah I'm one of Vincent's like thugs so anytime you see him and his gang I'm usually right there um, like and and he's really tall <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio is ginormous he's taller than I am and I'm six three. He's like six mm-hmm. six, so I got to stand next to him a lot so that they didn't have to like do any camera tricks to make it look like he's not you know like the other thugs weren't dwarfs. I saw a screening of it at, at UTA, and there yeah I don't know what's going on. Every once in a while I Google it and nada. I don't, well, I don't know what's I'm looking at, I'm looking on IMDb and it looks like it's slated for release in the UK on April 10th. Oh, uh, that's 2015. Cool. So, I mean, if I'm reading this right, that's new. Sure. It's been a while yeah. since I've Googled it. So, uh, that may be just be like a new development that I, yeah, that's all it says though. Just the UK and on April 10th, but nothing about the U S or, or any other markets. Huh? Cool. Well, I have to, I have to do some follow up, but that would be awesome. We've got uh, a couple of listener emails, but do we have what, what do we have time for here, Trev? Like, uh, I would say probably got about a, a good ten minutes here to, to tackle one or both of these. Um, although you know, there's a bit to talk about in each one, so maybe we should just go with one. Let's go with uh, let's go with Hannah's since we've already uh, answered it uh, halfway via email, and uh, hopefully that'll help us uh, get through it a, a bit easier. Um, so, Eric, we got your email. And we yeah, will, an awesome email from Eric. Yeah, yeah, yeah great update. We'll, we'll, we will definitely get to it um, in the next episode. Uh, but uh, Hannah emails in. She's emailed us uh, before and uh, was uh, not only thanking us for that, but uh, introducing some new thoughts, some new questions. She's moving to L.A. soon uh, because she's thinking about moving out there. She's going to be visiting and looking for apartments, that kind of stuff. So one of the questions she asks is, well, where do you suggest an actor lives? Um, that is cheap, but still in the action of everything. So Trevor had some great, I mean, just bullet points, boom, 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 in your email response to her. Uh, and then her second question, what stuff do you think a new actor should check out to further their career? And I'm assuming what she means by that is if you're new to a major market, which, you know, we, we get this question uh, quite a bit, but it's usually from the perspective of I'm moving, what should I think about? So I love that she phrases it much more specifically by saying, what stuff should I check out in this new market when I get there to this major market? So mm-hmm. it's a bit more specific than 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 the uh, the question we normally get. So do you want to just uh, sort of summarize your your email response as far as the first question goes, and then we'll sure. tackle the second. Yeah, I I should start actually like getting those email responses open and in front of me <laughs> because I feel like I write these responses and I think <laughs> I think I mean to say the same thing on the actual <laughs> podcast, but sometimes it, like you know like once or twice you were like oh that's different than what you wrote and I'm like oh shit <laughs> no um I I think uh, I mean from everything I know of of LA the sort of um, most I should say least expensive or most inexpensive uh, place to kind of be that's still in the action is like, is the Valley, North Hollywood, um, Burbank, Sherman Oaks, Van Nuys, that kind of area. Mm-hmm. That's where a lot of the casting happens uh, for theatrical stuff. And most of my auditions are, are there. And that's where a lot of the studios are and things like that. But on the same level, you know, I live over on the West side here in Culver city, which is also pretty cost effective. Sony studios is right here. I've never been on the lot for Sony for anything. Uh, at least not yet. 
uh, and but but a lot of the commercial auditions seem to be on the west side. So I'm frequently auditioning commercially on, around here, uh, and sometimes theatrically. But I think um, to kind of get in the action, uh, to kind of use um, your words, Hannah, I would say look at look in the valley, look at Van Nuys, Sherman Oaks, Burbank. Um, places like that, North Hollywood, there's a high concentration of actors, there's a high concentration of theaters, there's a high concentration of um, actor jobs and things like that. Like, I think it'll be a great place to start to just kind of get integrated quickly into the, the community. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on that, AJ? No, I think you hit it right on the head. I mean, uh, I'm a big fan of the West Side, but that's just because I like the weather and, you know, the beach yeah. and all of that. So, but, uh, you know, it, depending on where you live on the West Side, too, it can be more expensive than living uh, in the Valley. And, and she uh, she did say the word cheap. So, yeah, yeah. Um, just be careful with cheap. You want to, you know, live in a place that, that, that that's actually a home and not a shack. Yes, or something like yeah, that. a place that energizes you. That that can't be stressed enough. I mean, a lot of actors will cut corners on on places and things like that just to you know be in class. And and I think it's great if there's one thing we've heard from many of our guests, it's that you know you do whatever you can to be studying, to be doing you know better in your craft. But I think if you if you're constantly coming back to a place that's sucking energy from you. That just kind of is defeating the purpose of everything. Awesome. And then uh, her second question, what stuff do you think a new actor should check out to further their career? I mean, this, this question has like an infinite number of, of, of answers. Is there anything that you think like you just bullet point that, that, that jumps out at you? So we've talked about theater companies. We've talked about getting involved with, you know, groups of actors to kind of motivate you and support you. Um, you know, uh, I would suggest maybe checking out Actors Salon as a, as someone who's new to a major market, uh, which uh, Ben Whitehurst has talked about and recommended on the podcast before, which basically is a masterminds group that is specifically actor-focused. I don't know. What do you think, Trev? It's, it's about finding the balance between something that uh, finding the balance between a place that you feel you belong, like creating a sort of family dynamic with your peers and, and things like that. And then combining that with the right balance of, of art and business. So whatever that is, I mean, I, I would say, yeah, theater company is, was huge for me. Uh, for you, Hannah, it might be a, a class. It might be, um, it, it might be like a, a collective of people. It might be something like Actor Salon, which is, I just saw you put the link on the outline, AJ, actorsalon.com, which costs a bit of money, but I think it, it'd be a great thing to be involved with if, if money is no object uh, starting out. <clears throat> or even if it is, you know, hell. Don't put it, um, don't worry, don't let money stop you from, from yeah. uh, furthering your career. In fact, I have some thoughts on that I can share a little bit later. Well, it's just, it's just a great way to, if you don't know, it's sort of like a great place to have this question answered on a weekly basis. Does that make sense? Like, if you're not sure where to start and you're not sure what you what what tasks you could be working on, that's what it does. It focuses on what those tasks could be, and then you know gives you suggestions. And then you say like, okay, here's what I'm going to accomplish by the next time we meet, which will be next week. And then you go out and you work on those things. And in the meantime, you're going to be learning. And if you have question, uh, you know, additional questions that come up, there is likely going to be someone there who can answer it for you. Yeah. You know, so anyway. Yeah, that, it's like that, a little, little brain trust kind of deal. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so I think that's great. But I mean, um, yeah, I mean, look into theater companies, look into classes. Um, <clears throat> I would look into, you know, Bonnie Gillespie's got some great stuff. Obviously, we, we like to think this podcast is a good resource as kind of an ongoing, evolving conversation about things to check out to further your career. Uh, but I would say the most important thing is to get, uh, you know, set up in a place, like we said, that kind of recharges you get income coming in like as soon as possible. I would just go ahead and I, this was advice that was given to me when I first came out here and I didn't follow it. And like 10 years later now, I'm coming back to that advice and realizing that, you know, I kind of shot myself in the foot by not following it. I came out here and I met with a guy named Scott who was a, a, a sort of referral from a friend of a friend of a friend back in Philly. And Scott told me when I first got out here and totally green, like knew nothing, he said, get a credit card and put only your acting expenses on it. Like make it that your business account, but put everything uh, you know, that you want that will further your career onto that credit card. He said, don't let money stop you. Put it on there and just trust that you will develop the skills and, and, uh, and, 
and kind of the you know uh, reputation and, and career to to eventually pay it off. It's all an investment in your career. And while I'm not a fan of ever going into debt for really anything, I wish I had taken that advice right off the bat because I've let money conversations and concerns stop me a lot in my career. So uh, I wish I hadn't. So when it comes to something like Actor Salon, like it, it does come at a price. Like there's a, a significant financial investment involved with stuff like that. But I would say go ahead and just do it. The 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 support and the kind of group and community that, that you'll be having access to is well worth the money. And and you know if you believe in yourself, and we've heard this from Bria Grant and Nori Victoria, just to name two recent guests. You know they invested in themselves because they knew they'd be able to make it work, and it did. It paid off for them. So, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting. I, I I don't know that maybe you've talked about it on the podcast before, but I I that whole like having a credit card be your business account for your acting career specifically. That's really fascinating because it also shows you how much you're spending on that specifically, and you can more easily track. Do you know what I mean? Track that yeah, specific yeah. those specific expenses. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I, I would just add one caveat. I would say, just because I know the trap of credit card debt and it's an evil, evil thing, uh, I would say, you know, obviously be conscious of what you're spending and think about paying more than the minimum every month just to kind of temper the, the damage that's done, so to speak, the financial damage. But um, I would say call the credit card company and have them set a limit, even if it's an artificial limit. If they give you a card with a $10,000 limit, I would call and be like, if it were me, I would say, you know what, can you guys lower my limit to $5,000 just so I'm not getting out of control with this thing? Hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, they may fight you on that, but I would just, you know, find a card or find an account that will limit you to that just so you don't dig yourself into a deeper hole that you're going to be digging yourself out of for years to come if, you know, if things don't go quite as planned yeah. off the bat. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, yeah, like we said, this is a huge question. There's a lot of stuff out there. I mean, we're always discovering new resources and, and things um, that are great starting points for actors. But uh, the best that I've seen so far is, uh, is Bonnie Gillespie's stuff. And, um, and then I would say just ask around your community. As soon as you get involved in a class, just start asking people, what, do you, what works for you? You know, there's a ton of stuff we've talked about on this show over the years. So maybe dig through our archives and maybe it would be worth it for us, AJ, to put together a sort of you know, best hits list for, for getting started in LA. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, well, anything you wanted to add? No, I mean, there's, like I said, there's so much we could talk about it, you know, sort of indefinitely, but hopefully it's a good start. So Hannah, if there's something more specific, like if you could, and actually this goes for, uh, any of our listeners, um, whenever you send in a question, like the more specific that you can be, the more specific, the more specific we can be, in answering that question, it really supports us in supporting you, basically. So, um, Hannah, if if there's something we you feel like we missed, or if there's something more specific you'd like us to get into, um, you know, shoot us another email, and and we'd be happy to to do so. Cool. Thanks for the question, Hannah. Um, I think it's about time we roll into part one with Dale Orlander Smith. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So as we mentioned before, this is our first uh, phone interview. So. Dale does sound like she's on the phone, but the quality is actually fantastic. Uh, Trevor and I are actually really excited about this because it it will potentially allow us to get even more guests and even more higher profile guests. Some of the higher profile guests have been nice enough to invite us into their trailer, like J.K. Simmons, or their home, like Neil McDonough, but that's not always the case, <laughs> you know. So, uh, and plus, you know, people might be busy; they might be shooting on location. So to have the option of interviewing people in this way uh, is, is really exciting for us. So we're excited about that and excited about Dale's interview uh, because as Trevor likes to say, she is certainly a no bullshit, take no prisoners type uh, personality. Um, and I love that about her we so have, much. We have never had another interview like this on the podcast before. It is very unique in its... Um, perspective, passion for the work, and the just the knowledge, like her, her knowledge of history, um, of, of theater, storytelling, how it affects, you know, film and television. It all comes together. It's really interesting. So enjoy this first part, and uh, we'll catch you on the other side. 
Hey guys, this is Trev and AJ doing our very first kind of cross-country Skype interview. I'm in Los Angeles, AJ's in New York City, and we're on the line with a very exciting performer, poet, writer, Dale Orlander-Smith. She's best known for her work, Yellow Man, which uh, was nominated for the 2002 Pulitzer Prize, but she's also an Obie Award winner. She has working relationships with the Center Theater Group, with the uh, Goodman Theater, and with uh, the with Berkeley Rep, among many others. And we're really excited to have you on the show today, Dale. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. This is great. No, I, I obviously saw, I've seen your work, I've seen Stoop Stories, I've seen uh, the, the most recent show you did at the Kirk Douglas Theater here in Los Angeles forever, mm-hmm. and they were both really powerful kind of solo shows. So you do, you write a lot of multi-character work, but you also write a lot of solo stuff, and you tackle a lot of difficult issues, but you bring a lot of beautiful kind of humor and poetry, and music is a huge influence. So I'm really excited to talk to you about your process, about your approach, about how you develop your work. Uh, where your ideas come from. But before we get into all of that, uh, we like to usually start at the beginning and just find out kind of how you kind of got sucked into this whole world and and where and when you were bitten by the bug. See, I was an actor as a, a teenager. I've always liked the, 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 the cliche stuff. You know, I've always wanted to be, you know, an, an actor. And actually, as I get older, I, I want to write more than I want to act. But having said that, um, you know, when I was a kid, you know, looking at the work of, you know, they'd, they'd have like stuff like Movie of the Week on television, which was like they'd have a week of Catherine Hepburn or a week of Paul Newman or a week of like Brando. This would be these, you know, after school stuff when I was a kid. And, you know, it'd be the 430 movie. And I remember like seeing, uh, there was Catherine Hepburn week, and I remember seeing the first thing that really did it for me was Long Day's Journey and Tonight. And mm-hmm. I went, oh, my God, this is phenomenal. And, like, in the early 70s when I was in, like, you know, like, what is it? Well, I'm, like, maybe because I'm, I'm 55, so I was about 11. And I went to very strict Catholic school. And sometimes the nuns, you know, they try to, that's a whole different story. I've got to write about that. But they didn't know what they did. They took us to see The Great White Hope with James Earl Jones, right? And they had no idea what they were doing. And I went, oh, my God. And I saw James Earl Jones on stage, and I went, this is phenomenal. And then also, again, somebody who was a heavy influence was, you know, watching um, watching Brando. I remember, like, um, as a kid, they would play, like, a, the same movie, like, every night. I forgot forgot what channel that did this, but, of course, Brando went. Actually, the first Brando I saw was The Fugitive Kind. Then later I saw Streetcar Named Desire. So that had an influence. You know, kid. You know, in, in in like in the late '60s, early '70s, going to, you know, this 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 Catholic grammar school. There was also they'd have like British Week, so they'd be you'd be seeing things like Look Back in Anger or Saturday Night Sunday Morning, and this you know this is all the Tony Richardson stuff, and these were what they called the kitchen sink dramas out of coming out of England. You know, after they you know got their beat from New York, you know, because. I was doing that time. They, you know, they, they, a lot of those actors like Albert Finney and Terrence Stamp and, you know, Richard Harris and Richard Burton, you know, they'd been influenced by James Dean and they'd been influenced by Kazan and, you know, the whole movement of people going away from the whole Gary Cooper thing and into, you know, the 50s, you know, began, you know, with the precursor for the 60s, 70s, and 90, you know, 80s, 90s. By that, what I mean is dealing with the anti-hero. So, so a lot of those films were coming those way, our way. And, you know, as kids, we're watching this and we're going, man, you know, even though this is in England, you know, this is happening in New York to us, too. I mean, so there was a lot of stuff that was going on as kids we were talking about. It's really gotten so conservative now. I mean, that's a whole different thing. But the American film scene and to a certain degree theater scene is just so conservative. It's gone backwards, really. So when you said dealing with the anti-hero, I imagine that you've seen some massive shifts and change and in kind of theater and film and storytelling in general in this country, has that affected your uh, your work and, and what you yeah, want to create and contribute? I mean, I, I still do it anyway, but I noticed, you know, like I was watching something actually last night. And I mean, to me, I mean, certainly like, you know, a lot of those films like Rebel Without a Cause and all of that kind of stuff. And then when you look at, say, like the plays of David Rabe, like the basic training of Pablo Hummel that came out in the 70s, or films like, if you look at films like Mean Streets, you know, Mean Streets would gotten, could not have gotten, or Panic in Needle Park, which is like very early Pacino, right? Because that was done in 69. That was about drug addicts. And Needle Park wasn't really a park. It was just like this little 
enclave in the middle of the street about, you know, these junkies that hung out there and it's like this gritty life of dope fiends and stuff. And I was thinking, man, you know, that film couldn't have gotten made now. Mm-hmm. Or even on television. You know, I remember there was a film called That Certain Summer with Hal Holbrook and Martin Sheen, and they were a gay couple. That wouldn't have gotten made. Or, you know, there was a film, um, Born Innocent, which was done by Linda Blair, and Linda Blair played this, like, real straight-laced girl that ended up in a reform school. And what happened was these girls raped her with a plunger. This was on TV, man, regular TV. <laughs> wow. Oh, God. And so, but those films now would be considered risky, yet they're almost 40 years old. Now we've got, you know, movie stars or, you know, like cutesy. There's always been cutesy people and movie stars and stuff like that. But those kind of films would not get made now. This is the same, And it also extends itself into the theater where it's become about a star director and or a star actor. You know, there's certain floating companies that they're doing stuff, you know, but it's, it's really gotten so it's gotten super conservative. And my head is not conservative. And also as a woman, but also as a black woman writing outside the box. No one's used to hearing about a black woman write about rock and roll. Yeah, that was a big part of, uh, of your, your most recent show, Forever, that I saw, mm-hmm. the music element. Uh, mm-hmm. why, do you, why do you think that is? Why, I mean, it kind of goes against the kind of culture narrative that we have about like, getting more liberal as we kind of evolve as a culture, but you, you see it going the opposite direction. Why do you think that is? I mean, I think in certain degrees, I think maybe it's generational. I, I do see certain changes that are being made where something is just color free, where somebody can do anything, you know, but I'm not quite sure. I mean, uh, but also again, it's a business move because again, you know, when you go into like, when you sit down and have a, a meeting with somebody, they'll go, okay, you know, what, what literally I've seen this happen and I've experienced this. Okay. What do you want this? Do you want a black audience? Do you want a white audience? Do you want a mixed audience? What age audience do you want? I mean, it, it is that formulaic where people sit down and ask you what kind of stuff do you want to write? And this even has extended itself to a certain degree to the theater. Cause I mean, I wrote a play like at the Kirk Douglas called bones. I didn't, I wasn't in it. I wrote bones and that was done on the second stage. And that was a multi-character play. And it was written where anybody of any race could do it. And, you know, the, the character, you know, it, it happened to be, this character happened to be a black woman, but also I just wrote it. Like I said, where anybody of any race can do it. And it was two kids. And, it, it, and Candy Alexander, who was on CSI and then on Treme, who she's based in L.A., she did it. Tessa Abajoa did it and a guy called Tori Kittles. And Tessa, you know, uh, is white and Tori is black and... Candy is black, and there's no mention of color at all. And, you know, and people are saying, well, how could that be? Because you can't have a black kid and a white kid. And guess what? You can. I've seen this. It does happen. But people just, a couple of people harped on, you know, the whole color thing. Why is that? You know? And, and also, again, they had this, uh, certain people, for the, for the most part, the reviews were fine, but certain people had a, a, a problem with the subject matter because it was about this woman who was who did she as well as the husband we don't see him molest their kids i remember that one being a tough one for our audience you saw it when i worked there yeah i I remember i remember talking to audience members as they um as they left and it it was one of the it it was one of the more challenging things that that was in that space i'm just Corroborating your story, in other words, that 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 was a that was a really challenging one for for our audience. I mean, people people who were into that and 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 willing to go on that journey and willing to be uncomfortable witnessing a theater piece that 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 was sort of in their face really enjoyed it. The same thing happened with Forever as well. Yeah, there were there was uh, there were some stuff, some stuff in there that was difficult to hear and experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because you said that kind of. Some people shy away from that, and yet the mission, at least in my view, of of storytelling and theater and film and television is to challenge us and expand our views. So what, exactly. it been, what has it been like for you to run into some kind of pushback with that as a content Well, I creator? think, you know, because, again, this is what I mean by the conservatism of theater, and maybe, you know, friend, I was asking a friend of mine about this, and she goes, maybe the Reagan years have a lot to do with this. There's certain theater that's that's really meant to just it's totally be escapist, and that's fine, and that's all that that's real cool. But you have, you have also you have other theater that's meant to also make us think and give us permission to go on, to, to to be uncomfortable. And I guess I'm in you know uh, comfortable and uncomfortable. And I guess I'm in the latter thing. I don't set out to try to quote unquote shock anybody, but I do I do like dark work. I tend to lean toward 
that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I lean toward, you know, like a lot of times if I'm listening to stuff, I might be listening, you know, in terms of like, say, listening to like, if I'm listening to, like for instance, Nina Simone can be a very dark singer. The Velvet Underground is dark, you know. I'm, I'm also a Nine Inch Nails fan. I mean, re- what Rez does is incredible. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, and then like the stuff after that, you know, the Lou Reed stuff. You know, so I'm I'm into that or dark cabaret, like somebody who's kind of interesting and she's not dark per se, but sometimes she touches on stuff is that it's like you know who do you know who Amanda Palmer is? Oh yeah. So yeah, it's like I'm I'm a Dresden doll fan as well. You know, so it's like in some of the solo stuff, especially the like uh what is it? Oh, yes, Virginia. That's that's still a uh a D D album, you know. Um but yeah, I'm I'm interested in that kind of stuff. People who have to struggle, the people who've been made to feel invisible or stuff like that's that's the stuff that interests me and that's the music that i mean i don't listen to that i don't listen to that kind of music all the time but but i'm into but, but, but that's the stuff that i'm moved by with the introduction of the ubiquitous technology that we have we talk about this on the podcast a lot like the ability to just pick up an iphone and and make either crap that goes on YouTube or actually make, you know, an independent film or something outside of the studio system where people are doing, you know, internet distribution and that kind of thing. Do you think that those people are taking any any risks um, because they're outside of the, the studio system? Or do you think that um, people are, are making just as um, conservative things in that space in an effort to essentially make sure that they can sell it to whatever their audience is, even if it's direct to audience sales. I've come across both. Like there's this project, uh, this, this thing on YouTube called what's underneath. And it's actually, they're expanding it to men. It's like where they have these women who uh, sit in a room and they talk about body image and they, they have them stripped down, not naked, but they have them stripped to their underwear and you have women of all, ages and sizes and all of that kind of stuff and that's really cool now they're beginning to also do that with men and i know the girl has a kickstarter thing going on and i think that's just really good but you have other people who are just like gratuitous like this whole thing i would um somebody's trying to put together this thing with johnny depp being wasted at the film at the, the film awards and stuff and it's just like let the man get wasted who cares you know <laughs> you know actually it kind of endeared me to him in a weird sort of a way you know but um but no but there are people that are doing like you know stupid things as well but they but you know again i think technology can work very well when it's used well but for the most part i i do see i do i do see a lot of commercial stuff going on just a lot of gratuitous shit what is it about the dark stuff that that draws you in i mean forever was about some some heavy stuff. I guess maybe because I always, I, mean, I guess in my own way, because I mean, I've always felt like an outsider too. It's like, you know, because again, I mean, anybody can listen to anything, but like I said, you know, I'm a black woman listening to a lot of rock, you know, and that, that, that made me an outsider. And, um, you know, just like kind of the questions that I had also musically who I left out, who was a genius is Tom York. I mean, I think Radiohead. Oh is yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I mean, as, as someone who's always just felt like outsider stuff, who's like, you know, again, you know, when I've questioned like, you know, like, the, like, you know, the gender stuff by gender, I'm not talking about when I talk about like choice and sexuality. I mean, that even that too, it's like, that's whatever people do sexually is their business. But like what we've called male, what we call female, I mean, I've always had those kind of questions. I mean, that's why it's like, it's when I looked at say certain people from the fifties, when you looked at Brando and James Dean, Part of the reason why they went over so well is because, and a lot of people can't see this with Brando, is that they're very androgynous. Can you see where Brando's androgynous? Brando, I, I see him as pretty masculine, but some of the other people you've mentioned, I definitely can, can see that. How, yeah, where, I mean, how, he is very masculine, but there's also there's another part of him that I, I can see a feminine within him. I mean, yeah. so, so I'm interested in the people that question all these things or question what race is, you know? It's... You know, I mean, like, there's a singer that was kind of big in the 80s. She's huge in Europe called Grace Jones. And Grace Jones does a little bit of everything. And she yeah. sings in seven or eight languages. And um, I didn't, you know, I I found out that she did a cover of, um, you know, I didn't know she did this, like a cover of, of, of She Lost Control, which is a Joy Division song. You know, she was, she was doing, like, kind of disco in the 70s. But also it's gone into this incredible you know, singing like she's singing Iggy Pop songs and she's singing Piaf songs and that wouldn't happen in America. And also her being a darker skinned black woman singing this stuff is like, no one knows what to do with that. It, it's such a trip to me too, that, 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 that is such a departure from the norm that people almost don't know how to process it. 
And yet, that's a that's a really central part of your work. Just kind of like asking questions about, well, what what is this really, and why do we view things uh, in X, Y, or Z context? Yeah. Because there's different kinds of theater and there's different kinds of rock and roll. I mean, like for instance, I think the first Patty, the first Patty Smith album was incredible. Horses. Mm, she's done yeah. great work. I mean, recently now, I mean, she's opening up to a new generation with you know just kids and stuff, and people are reading and they're going back to see the you know the work that she's done. But people weren't used to a woman because she, she looks like Keith Richard. And, yeah. you know, so there's that whole androgynous thing. But also, she's not singing love songs, love songs. I mean, she's not doing that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. I mean, so people are not used to a woman being like that. And so, like I said, you know, the second thing is like being a black woman doing this, you know, in terms of and, and me trying to mix theater with rock and roll. But that's not unique. Sam Shepard did it in the early days, you know, with stuff, yeah. you know, with, with Cowboy Mouth and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, it, that that was that was definitely there. And then, and in his early work, there is rock and roll. There, you, you, it reads like that on the page. I, I I want to rewind just a little bit, Dale, because you've you've right now speaking to you now, you've had a lot of success with your solo work, with your writing, with um, your multi-character yes pieces. No. Uh, no, yes and no. Tell, yes tell and us about. Yes and t- no. T- well, I, I've seen the yes part, so tell us about the no part because I I know the it no wasn't part an easy is that one struggles. I mean, you know, I mean, I've I've been blessed. Like I had a Guggenheim and stuff like that, and I've had. Some, you know, but then again, like, you know, after you get that, it's like, okay, I'm the tax man, because it's like 15 grand at least goes to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the expectation, like, for instance, like Yellow Man, I give an example, like Yellow Man is a piece that deals with internal racism, right? If I continue to write something like that, then I would make a lot of money. But having said that, I want to do other things. And I cheat myself if I just keep writing the same thing over and over again. So, again, it's like in terms of commercial commerciality, I was somebody who, Yellow Man was the thing that made me the most money. Because of the darkness of the work, a lot of the times I might have gotten critical success. I did not get financial. You know, like say in the 90s when you had, so the 80s, 90s, when you had people like, I don't know, Bogosian, you know, and you had, you know, John Leguizamo and, you know, what's a little boy's name, Danny Hawk and all of this kind of stuff. Their stuff was by far more commercial. Uh, maybe this is a dumb question, but a lot of people out there would say, okay, cool, I'm going to go where the money goes, you know, or I'm going to go with what's going to sell. But you don't take that, that route necessarily. You say, I'm going to write stuff that means something, that, that has an actual um, role in the cultural yeah, dialogue. I, yeah, yeah I, I, if I write something just so, just for the money, I mean... Because this is why, to a certain degree, I am going toward television. But again, what I'm writing for TV is not just a money maker. I also want to. I want to enjoy being able to watch it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like you know this thing and the colored girls thing. I mean, I'm I'm interested in um, writing something like that, but also enjoying writing it and not just you know phoning it in. Because I do have friends of mine now who, in fact, are writing for TV. Some of them like it. Some of them hate it. Mm. But they realize that there's no money in theater, you know, a, and they, you know, they have to make money and they have, some of them have families and all this kind of stuff, you know. So I do have, you know, there's friends of mine who love it because anytime I go to L.A. for instance, a lot of people, I see a lot of people I haven't seen in a really long time. They come to the shows and we hang out a little bit and we talk. There's some that really like it, and there are others that are going. I can't stand it, but I can't keep living in poverty. I need to, you know, have, you know. And I understand that. And again, like I'm saying is the whole thing when you had people like, you know, like in, in the seventies, when you had all of these, from what I understand, cause I was a teenager. So like when I talked to people say who were like around during the seventies, you could make money as an actor and as, 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 as a writer, the places where one could make money as uh, in, in theater, like now it seems like Chicago, Minnesota is another place, and Philly also, I think, gives, you know, money toward actors and toward, you know, but overall, like in New York, New York is very, very tough, and New York is very commercial. Can you, can you take us back to when you wrote your very first show, and why you wrote it, and then how you tried to, or how you worked to get it out there? Well, I was, a, I was, a, I was an actor when I was a teenager, and there was a place here on 7th Street, you know, uh, where I was doing some stuff, and somebody didn't show up and I just, you know, made up a character on the spot, wow. you know, cause they were doing kind of like cabaret stuff, you know, even like when I was you know, in, in this particular building where somebody would come and they'd do a poem and then somebody would come and sing. And then, you know, there's this chick was supposed to show up and, and do this, do something. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And I began, and I began to start like that. And there was also a place called the New Eureka Poets Cafe, which is still up. I live across the street from it. And this is where, uh, 
you know, uh, you heard of the play and for color girls who've considered suicide and Izaki Shange. That was kind of a famous play that, you know, came out of there. And there was another play called Short Eyes by a guy called Miguel Pinheiro. Oh, I've seen that. Seen okay, that. there yeah. you go. Miguel started, started, uh, the new, was one of the co-founders of the New Yorkian Poets Cafe. So I was doing work in there. So that's when that work began to really happen then. Then, but the first solo, solo, solo play didn't happen really until I was like 30. Cause, you know, I went to college for a couple of years, bullshitted, you know, hung out a lot, you know, and then um, began to join, you know, the New York Rican Poets Cafe. And then, and I was, I was there as a kid, then it fell apart. Then I, I went back again in my 20s and was traveling around, you know, doing poetry performance in my 20s and early 30s. And then I, you know, I, I put together a, a solo show, and then people, you know, people, people were coming to see me do certain things, and that's how the show came about. The first one. So poetry performance, you said you you did as well. Mm-hmm. As well as writing characters, all throughout all, I've always written certain characters, even as I was a kid, writing this, writing that, keeping a journal, writing poems, and then just having an idea for a character, even as a kid. That's cool. I was going to ask you about your process uh, next, like your your approach, how you develop ideas and things like that, but it sounds like it's pretty organic for you. Yeah. I mean, also I had, with the exception of two directors, I had um, directors that, actually three, that were like very savvy because also, it's, again, it's like, you know, learning, you know, it's on-the-job training in a weird way with me. I mean, I am a trained actor. I went to... Uh, when I was in college, I did study study theater, and then I, st- I was in the actor's studio for a hot second as a writer. And then, you know, HB Studio and American Academy of Dramatic Arts, so I did study acting, you know. Um, but, again, in terms of the writing and also my kind of writing, you know, I've had to, like, look at the system and take what I need to take, but also keep it away from me. Certain things that I have now... I had ideas for it like 20 years ago, and then you'd hear some teacher go, you know, if you show this to uh, an agent or a theater, they're going to become frightened and they're not going to do this. And these are the same people who were like dropping names like, oh, I was in school with Al, and when Al did this scene, it's like, fuck you, I don't want to hear what you have to say. (laughs) You know what I mean? Wow, yeah. Because if you look look at it systematically, right, it's like the very people that are that become part of a school system and i'm not anti learning nor am i anti school i'm saying it's for certain people the world is their teacher and I, I, for me it's both the school thing and also the world right i mean sam shepherd didn't finish school i remember i became friends with august wilson right august wilson dropped out of out of school in the 10th grade because the teacher told him i don't believe you're smart enough to write what you're writing August was working on all of this work, and the teacher said, you didn't write this. You got somebody, you paid somebody to write this for you. And he goes, is this what the academic system is? Fuck you, I don't need you. And the very people that said he wasn't smart enough to write it, they now put it part of, the, uh, part of their curriculum. Because, I mean, that's the way the educational system is. I mean, and, you know, it's, um, the people, you know, you have to drop dead, and then you become part of the curriculum. You become part of the canon, you know? I mean, that's what it is. It's like, you know, if you look at someone like Oscar Wilde, who was considered perverse, right? Lo and behold, you know, almost 200 years later, now Oscar Wilde is part of, you know, you're told to read Oscar Wilde, but at that time he was considered a pornographer. You know, Streetcar mm. Named Desire, right, was, was, when it was initially written, it was called The Poker Night. And people uh-huh. considered what he did pornographic, and then lo and behold, you have to read Tennessee Williams in order to know what you're doing. So this is what I mean by the hypocrisy of academia. And also the people that teach it. Again, not all of them, because you have some good teachers and you have some good you know, teaching institutions. But if you look at what's, how, how the way we're taught, you know, the people we're taught at one point were outlawed. And then 10, 15, 20 years later on, and, on, and, and on up, they become part of the system. Hey guys, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed part one of our chat with the very sharp and very well-read and just all-around brilliant, awesome person, uh, Dale Orlander Smith. <laughs> uh, I had the pleasure of kind of rubbing elbows with her uh, quite a bit as she was at you know at the Douglas doing her her one-person show, and I saw the show several times as you guys heard in the interview, and uh, it, it it was always such a, a visceral experience. Um, just so textured, man. She is a true artist. And uh, we were just talking while you guys were listening to the interview, AJ and I were chatting about how she just has the ability to just connect the dots of culture into these really fascinating and sort of unforeseen ways. 
And uh, I really admire um, the kind of creative person that she is and and was so excited to have her on the show. And, and you know, like you said, AJ, we've never had an interview like this. Just all in every single way, we've never had somebody um, like this on the show. So mm-hmm. it's pretty awesome and excited to get you guys uh, part two next week. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, uh, I really enjoyed the experience and I'm, I'm hoping uh, to run into her in some capacity. It'd be great to... I don't know, work on one of her shows here in New York or something. That would be awesome. But, uh, you know, I know that she's here. So uh, it'd be very, very cool. What is your pick of the week? So my pick of the week is time sensitive and location uh, dependent, I guess you could say. Uh, It's the show. I know, I know. So you got to be in L.A., uh, but it's the show that's currently playing at the the Kirk Douglas Theater here in Culver City. And it's called Luna Gale. And it's by a playwright named Rebecca Gilman, who many of you may know. She wrote Spinning Into Butter. She's kind of a big deal in Chicago and other places. Definitely here in L.A., she's a big deal right now because this show is this is the world. This is the Los Angeles premiere of the world premiere production from the Goodman Theater in Chicago. And I read this script about a week before I saw the show. And the script reads like a thriller. It's like it's so perfectly paced, beautifully written, really witty, really sharp. There's about eight different themes that weave their way through this script. And each one of those themes could could be a breakout play of their own. It's a brilliant piece of work. And so I was really excited to go in and see the, uh, the actual production uh, last week. And when I did, I was a little bit scared that I might have set my expectations too high because I loved the script so much. It really is one of the best scripts I've read in a, a long time. And uh, the production blew me away. I, in fact, I wished I hadn't read the script so I could really experience the production uh, kind of from a, a raw, kind of blind perspective. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it's, it's excellent in every single way. The set, the acting, the, the direction, the, everything about it is phenomenal. Uh, and it's, you know, it's theater, professional theater is not always kind of inexpensive to see, but I highly, highly, highly recommend anybody who has any sort of tie to acting or storytelling of any kind, get the, to the Kirk Douglas theater in Culver city before December 21st and see Luna Gale. It is an excellent piece of theater that I'm really glad I had a chance to experience. So the link is on our website. Uh, you can buy tickets directly from that link. We don't, as a podcast, we don't get a kickback or anything like that. It's just a great show, and um, I, I check it out. Do yourself a favor and make a night of it. It's awesome. I I'm I'm really excited because I just realized I was going to ask you when it closed, but then you you said it uh, because I'll be in town before it does. Oh, you got to come see it, dude. So maybe I'll come see it. Yeah, it's a good one. Awesome. Awesome. Sweet. And, and what's your pick of the week? I see what it is, but I don't know what it is. You are going to love this. In fact, this pick of the week is like, is like a love letter to Trevor Algat. This is like, <laughs> this is like, this pick of the Tell week. Tell me more. This pick of the week is like, I'm going to make this my pick of the week because of Trevor. Um, and also our listeners as well. Because it, it, it's, it's one of those picks of the week that is definitely uh, industry related. And so makes makes it makes a good pick for people people to check out if you're in, especially if you're interested in voiceover, which I know you are. So John DiMaggio, who does the voice of Bender in the uh, Futurama cartoon series, and who uh, does a bunch of other voices as well. Basically, what it is is a documentary highlighting uh, all of the voices behind the like characters from cartoons and stuff that you know and love it's it's basically yeah it's basically basically a documentary about uh animate and voiceover animation voiceover voiceover animation animation voiceover yes anyway um it's it's uh you can check out some clips at their website uh it's on uh, netflix i don't know where else it, it might be now playing the website says now playing on viewtopia never really heard of that one before but i I'm guessing that this will be more accessible than a lot of my other picks of the week that have been sort of Netflix dependent since, uh, you know, a, a lot of countries don't have Netflix. But uh, you can probably find this elsewhere on the Internet. But it's just it's a, it's really cool. I mean, it's it's I, I would say it is not necessarily a tool to be used to, like, break into voiceover, but rather a tool 
to be used to see if doing voice animation voiceover is something that you're interested in. Because they do talk about what is necessary, and you get to see people who are like incredible at it and at the top of their game. And it's the first time in my life, uh, or my life as an actor rather, where I've said, man, I don't know if I have what it takes to, <laughs> to, wow. to do what they do because they're so, so good at it. All right, this is, this is adding, I'm adding it to my list for this week. Epic. Do it, do it. It's on, right on. It's on Netflix. You will enjoy it, Trevor, for sure. Sweet, sweet. Yeah. I can't wait. Cool, man. And then Jasmine, uh, who's one of our patrons and also often, um, you know, supports the podcast in other ways, uh, not the least of which being AJ's amazing girlfriend, has an awesome pick called Storyist. And I'm somewhat familiar with this software. It's a, it's a piece of writing software, and it's mm-hmm. only like 10 bucks for the iOS version. I don't know. I mean, you're probably more kind of intimately acquainted with the idea of it than I am. So, do you want to take this on? Well, I've just I've watched her use it. You know, um, I'm not sure how much it is, but Final Draft did just re- recently uh, and finally release uh, software for um, for iPads, and it was something that people were waiting for for a very long time. So, there's Final Draft, there's Celtics, and then there's uh, this app, uh, Storyist, which she has been using uh, quite a bit, and I've watched you know, her use it. And one of the things that I liked that she said in her email to us was, you know, the app makes her feel like she's putting on her writer's hat and makes her feel (laughs) like a, you know, now I'm being a writer. Now I am a professional writer and and that is what I am currently working on. So that type of compartmentalization is, is sometimes supportive, especially for a creative mind, like a, an actor's mind. Some of the key features says it uh, makes formatting really easy. It syncs with Dropbox and then there's some kind of color-coded index card feature to, uh, I guess, develop your develop your stories. Right on. So uh, that's at storyist.com. Uh, you can check out that link on our website. Sweet. So that's uh, just a recap. That's Luna Gale playing at the Kirk Douglas Theater through December 21st. The documentary on animation voiceover and voiceover artists. I know that voice. And then Storyist, a kick-ass piece of uh, writing software that you can get for your iPad and also your Mac desktop. So we have uh, just a quick thank you that we want to kind of give before we wrap up this bad boy. And that is uh, to our patron of the week, Sharina Dorothy. Sharina uh, has been a patron with us for a long time. Long, long time. She loves us long time. We love her long time. And she's an actor in Los Angeles who is also skilled in the art of hula hooping, hardcore pranking, and four-leaf clover hunting. I love these cool, great bios that people come up with. It's so, so specific. Cool. Yeah. She grew up in northern Minnesota and has many credits throughout the Midwest. You can find out more about Sharina at facebook.com slash Sharina Lane. I think I'm saying her name correctly. Sharina, not Sharina. I think, Karina? I think it's Karina. If I remember Karina. Correctly. All right. There I go. I think, screwing up somebody else's name. I think she corrected us at one point a long Great. time ago. It's awesome. been a long time. That's why I wanted her to be the patron of the week. It's been a long time. Yeah. She rocks. Okay. Well, Karina, I apologize um, for doing that. Uh, <laughs> watch, but you can watch, find her. Watch you be right. And <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, jeez. Anyway. Uh, yeah, anyway, you can find her on Facebook, and she's on Twitter as well. Just uh, hit up our website for the links there. It looks like a great person to to know. And uh, Karina, I want some four-leaf clovers. Can you find me some of those? It says you're a specialist. I don't know hardcore pranking is. Like, um, <laughs> Inside Acting is produced and co-hosted by yours truly, AJ Meyer, and, of course, Mr. Trevor, 300 workouts in a year, Algat. That's not actually his middle name. Uh, Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Cesar Camino is our technical producer. Gadali Gubrick is our marketing and web director. And Deborah Smith is our community manager. You can sign up for our free, free, free weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. Um, anyway, <laughs> okay. you can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, or pretty much wherever you download podcasts, assuming you still want to listen to us after all of this. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, and this episode of Inside Acting was made possible in part by Rehearsal 2, which is an awesome app for actors. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for auditions, explore your character, and make stronger choices... There's an app for that, Rehearsal 2. You can download it right now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. And of course, this episode, as well as the entire podcast, would not be possible without listeners like you. So if you love inside acting and you want to help keep the show going, 
You can sign up as a monthly patron and get cool perks like access to uh, exclusive online patron-only masterminds group. Hint, hint, wink, wink. It's coming soon. Shout out on the show, show website, newsletter, freebies, discounts on merchandise, and other upcoming podcast offerings, and more. And just feeling like a good person. That helps. Feeling like you've contributed. That's, 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 a, that's a feature. That's a benefit of being a patron. Um, just visit InsideActingPodcast.com and click on the Patron tab or click on the Donate button. And you too can contribute, become a patron, and maybe you're our patron of the week. All right, uh, that's it then for episode 171 of Inside Acting. Thanks for listening. I'm Trevor Algott. And I'm AJ Meyer. We'll uh, see you next. Oh, is that you or me? I can't remember. Oh my gosh. Let's I got one. I got oh, one. If, you do? If, Go. If, I yes, do. do it. All right. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, thanks for downloading our podcast. <laughs>